Hello, homeschool friends, and welcome to this episode of the Homeschool High School Podcast from SevenSistersHomeschool.com, brought to you by the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. I'm Sabrina, and I'm here with Vicki, and we have a special friend with us today. And it's not Kim. And it's not a seventh sister, exactly. Not, not a seventh. It's a seventh brother. A seventh brother. Hi. Yes. <laughs> this is Will Hahn. Hi. And Will is a longtime friend of Seven Sisters. He mm-hmm. is a homeschool dad, well, homeschool grad dad. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, he is an author. He is a teacher. He is an all-around great humanitarian. Wow. You read uh, the card perfectly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we're going to have a lot of fun today talking about one of our favorite topics and one of our most popular pieces of curriculum, quite honestly, which is our writing guide for writing a myth fantasy story. Yeah. Yeah, we we get a little nerdy around here about the fantasy genre, especially the old school C.S. Lewis and Tolkien. Sabrina and I were talking earlier about I'm a little bit of a snot. And her son was wondering whether he was allowed to graduate from our umbrella school (laughs) if he wasn't a raving C.S. Lewis fan. But then he was quick to, to, you know couch it and now i i do like c.s lewis don't get me wrong i was just wondering if i didn't like what if you had a friend Mrs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well i think we our generation you know grew up on these great christian fantasy authors who set the tone um the younger kids have seen more of what you might call urban fantasy or uh it's, it's really a, in a lighter style and it doesn't commit to this explaining the whole world thing. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, Tolkien and Lewis just had the vision of the entire cosmos, you know. Yeah. So um, authors today, are they write page turners, they're very gripping, and they have fantasy elements in them, but they don't. And then they change and go do another uh, completely different genre in the next set of books. They don't have that kind of commitment. And, and so we dug in and, and read hundreds of pages, and we loved it and have a deep appreciation of it. But it's a little hard to convey that, I think. Yeah. To, uh, well, and it's funny kids. because I've noticed with my kids who are grown now, um, a couple of them recently were having a fantasy discussion and mm. we were talking about Tolkien and we were talking about Lewis. And <clears throat> one of the things that they pointed out is that other things that they read, they run into holes in the subcreation that bother them. Right. And right. they realize that they're spoiled because there were so few holes and they were tiny little pin-sized yes. holes. You know, yes. you, you, you have a hard time finding a hole in the fabric of Narnia or in the fabric of Middle Earth because right. they're just so tightly woven. Right. And, and, uh, and almost, yeah. almost, I mean, Tolkien himself too, almost too much in the other direction. You know, he really strongly advised Lewis not to publish the Darnia books. Right. And he, for his own devices, wouldn't have been too enthusiastic about publishing about Middle Earth. They kind of stole the Silmarillion from him. He really did not intend. <laughs> those, those were like notes. I'd have been horrified if the equivalent of those notes, you know, they just grabbed them and put them out uh, because the world was so hungry for more. But if it had been up to... Uh, Tolkien, there wouldn't have been nearly as much put out as there was. He was almost too far, very much a perfectionist, mm-hmm. you know, in the other the other direction. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we wanted to give our kids, because they were C.S. Lewis fans, whether they wanted to be or, or not, <laughs> yeah. um, was the the framework that Tolkien and Lewis used. Like they had a basic pattern of developing that sub-creation, the backstory, mm-hmm. and then the, the rhythm of the story. So it's, it's a framework. It doesn't mean they followed it rigidly, 
but it gave them, if you watch all their stories, they have this very rich, what they called subcreation, so the, all the backstory, mm-hmm. and then this pattern of what happened in the stories. So like idyllic openings, you right. know, they all started with something very pleasant. Didn't last long. <laughs> <laughs> no, because you want to make the story, you know, interesting. So you yeah. bring in the conflict, the deception elements. Uh, you foreshadow those elements. It even gets to the, you know, the certain roles like the uh, the, the the mentor, the prophet. The, the prophecy is yeah. usually housed in some wiser person, maybe an older person. Doesn't have to be Gandalf, but that you can sort of spot these elements. And this was such a revelation to me when when I was you first asked me to, to teach the class a couple of years ago. I, Just I to had make that. sure everybody knows, Will teaches in our uh, our local homeschool umbrella school for high schoolers, right. and he has taught all sorts of things there. But one of the things that he has taught more than once is short story writing using the myth fantasy guide that Vicky wrote right. for Seven Sisters. Right, and it's a, it's a short story guide, so kids churn out like a five page story. It's not like doing a whole novel, so it's not intimidating. But by the way, the reason why we asked Will to, to do the myth fantasy is one, he's the our high schooler's absolute favorite teacher anyway. <laughs> he's the dude. Yeah. And so if the if he was teaching it, they oh, would buy it. They will into sign it. up, absolutely. And uh, and the second reason is Will writes fantasy novels himself so let's let's do a little plug right? there we go. Oh, well, tell us about the land of hope so i have been chronicling the uh, events of a place called the lands of hope very much in the old tolkien-esque legendarium epic fantasy style for about 11 years now and i had notes on it you might say uh rather extensive notes uh for easily uh well coming up on 40 years now so which like I never, the Silmarillion, we'll be able to steal uh, no, those no, and publish them against no, your will. No. Fortunately, <laughs> fortunately, they're in my handwriting, so they're completely illegible. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, never really... Uh, I was enjoying the, the exploration of the world from, uh, from my own personal uh, uh, use and never really thought about writing them down until about 11 years ago, 2008. And now I've written several novels, and uh, some are broken up into shorter pieces, and uh, they're all available online. I'm even getting into recording them as audiobooks, which is really a lot of fun as well. So a lot of different aspects of the creation uh, process for me. That's been a nice, uh, I guess I'd call it a vocation or, or a sideline. You know, not for the money, obviously. <laughs> well, give us a straight up plug and just tell us where people can find. Oh well, I'm uh, I'm available uh, paperback or eBooks uh, and audio books on all the major online retailers, including Amazon or, or Barnes and Noble and, and uh, Apple. Uh, I'm right there in the catalog. I, I actually come before uh, Lewis and, and Tolkien uh, alphabetically. <laughs> you know. uh, so it's good how it's you found us. <laughs> not hard to find. Uh, you're a drop in the ocean for free with, uh, with indie publishing these days. It, it, there are a lot of business models that don't require you to, you don't have to go buy 5,000 books and then find a place to sell them. You just, you put them available and if people want one, they can buy one. So Wonderful. It's very convenient. So we'll Wonderful put links stuff. in the show notes. Yes, so, links in the show notes for sure. sure. So we, we shanghaied Will into teaching the myth fantasy short story to the high schoolers because they, we wanted them to have that experience, and we knew that if Will taught the class, they would come. So. <laughs> well, it's very kind. I actually was, uh, as I said in the in the the blog post uh, the other day, I I really felt like perhaps just saying yes and then leaving the country because it was scary to think about condensing down what I naturally write, which is quite a bit longer, the real big, you know, fire door propping novel, uh, <laughs> and and 
boil it down to this five pages, which is what we're aiming mm-hmm. for in a, in a short class like this. It runs for six or seven weeks. Uh, that really petrified me. And then when I read the curriculum more closely, which Vicky had put together, I, I actually had a few moments of stomping my little foot and, and, and <laughs> claiming that artistically this was an outrage. You know, because uh, you know, she breaks it down into all these elements uh, that uh, at first I thought were just really artificial and unfair and not artistic. But, you know, the minute I really forced myself to look at them, I had to say, Time after time after time. Well, yes, that's in there. Well, okay, yes. And then, and it just broke me right down. To, to read the curriculum broke me down, and I realized that absolutely you could do this. And then a real turning point came when I thought, hey, idiot, you could do this. You could just take the course and write a short story along with the kids. Because one thing I really did worry about was coming into the kids uh, in this class, petrified as a lot of them would be, uh, and just lecturing to them about how great fantasy was instead of having any personal experience of it. Mm-hmm. So that was my teaching approach <clears throat> that first year. I said, I'm going to write one alongside the kids, actually a little bit ahead of them, one week ahead of them. And then they'll have, I'll have a little more authority to encourage them that they can do the same thing. And I must say it worked out really, really well. That is such a years. fantastic um principle to take forward, whether you're teaching the myth-fantasy short story writing curriculum or something else, that sometimes learning alongside your teen is just powerful because it does break down that us and them wall, mm-hmm, you know, and mm-hmm. your teen sees, okay, my parent is trying, or my co-op teacher, whatever, is trying something new to them too, or different than right. what they've done before. And we're saying, okay, mm-hmm. let's all just learn something. And it, um, in particular, in the teen years, when Sometimes there's a little bit of pushback against the whole, oh, grown-ups think they know everything, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Um, it can level the playing field, and it can open up kind of a whole new learning thing. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's very true, and uh, it, it's absolutely uh, natural for a teacher, anybody out there listening, to feel uh, intimidated by the idea of writing, you know, this really intact, really truthful kind of, you know, myth-fantasy stories are a bit like fairy tales and folklore. They They have to... They have to come around right. They have to mean something and be true in some very important way. And I, I would imagine that a lot of folks would feel intimidated by that. But again, following the curriculum and just noticing that there are these little steps. And you don't have to have all the steps today. You can go, well, I know what I would like in terms of an idyllic opening. I have a cute or funny idea for an opening. And you do five or six of those. And then your story already has a certain character. One of the things I'd, I'd want people to know is that I've had students who wrote what were almost straight-up fairy tales. I've had others who wrote shorter versions of what I would call a classic fantasy story. I've also seen some allegorical tales. They're they're like mm-hmm. obviously um, metaphoric in the way they uh, the the student approached it. As long as I got them to start writing, I think uh, um, that comes out. It's all very different from each other, and that's fine. But they're still getting to. Uh, what I encourage them to think about was that there, you know, there are these deep truths that, like the Greek myths or, or these fairy tales, they're not connected to facts, but they tell you something really true uh, about what you think, and you know what those are. You know, I would encourage the students to believe they know what those are, and they can, they can access that. And then whatever costume you put on it, it just makes it more delightful to recognize the old friend in, you know, in, a, new, in a new guise. So it sounds to me like one of the things that you're encouraging them in doing is not just checking a box to get a writing assignment done and not just 
forcing themselves to be a creative writer when maybe they don't feel like they're a creative writer. But you're encouraging them to think, to think mm -hmm. about life, to think about what they have already learned to be true, to think about <clears throat> ideas that maybe are uncomfortable for them mm -hmm. and to work through those things using their words, um, which all sounds a little bit like kind of like life skills and character <laughs> development. <laughs> and um, yeah, I which is my geeky topic that I get all excited about. <laughs> uh, I see, yes. Well, yes, and, and I think students are perfectly entitled to be nervous at first. Um, and again, breaking it down into several weeks, I think there's five weeks in the curriculum, uh, gives them bite-sized tasks to think about each time. They haven't got to paint the whole forest. You know, mm -hmm. very, very leaf by niggle to quote another <laughs> Tolkien story. Another great Tolkien story, right? You can just Good think about the leaf, you know, and other stuff mm -hmm. will will start to come to you. Uh, I think that that's a valid uh, metaphor. And, and um, I, I opened the class since we at, at Mount Sophia, we have seven weeks to teach, but there's five weeks in this curriculum. I've got some extra time to to work with them. And I opened up by just showing them a couple of classic Greek myths and then suggesting to them Perseus and Medusa uh, Eros and Psyche, mm -hmm. and then suggesting to them that in, in one way of interpreting myths is that everybody in the story is really just you. Perseus is kind of the you you want to be, mm. right? And Psyche is the you you want to be. But there are these other uh, sides of your personality, these other forces in, in, inside you that are sometimes quite threatening. And then I, I encourage them to think about where they might be in their, this story at a certain point. Are they, are they at a certain point in the story? Are they, are they at the end? Probably not. They're 15, mm. 16 years <laughs> right. old. We would like to hope they're not. Mm. But, um, you know, th that there's a point in the story where they are. So that's a part of that personalizing. And part of the, uh, I think what you're alluding to is that, that you, you grow in the skills when you come to know who you are. Mm. And you come to know how, what these stories mean to you. And then you can turn around, perhaps, and express that better in a story of your own. Wonderful. So what did you observe in kids as far as the, the pace of the curriculum? Was it for the kids who loved to write? Was it moving along too quickly and because they, they wanted to write 50 pages instead of five? Um, for the kids who didn't mm -hmm. think that they were creative writers? Was it was it a was it bite sized enough? Um, Honestly, yeah. we're, we're just pumping you for, you know, for feedback <laughs> for later for later editions because, yeah. you know, it's well, different I think, kids. I think I wouldn't be sure uh, that I could identify who was good at writing ahead of time. I had had some students in history class before, but writing a history paper is its just not the same. I think I saw any number of kids who, you know, good students, good study habits, willing to try, but still had trepidation about, well, I still can't do this. Mm -hmm. And at the other end of the spectrum were a couple students who, who did not do so well. And it's because I couldn't talk them out of the sort of what I call the Frankenstein model of writing is that, you know, you're going to wait and wait and then one night the lightning will flash <laughs> and, and Eureka, you know, and the whole story is just there, right? And it, and it rises oh, off the table. Wow. You know. It needs a beam. It, so it does. Well, you know, I point out that in Frankenstein, the minute the monster opens his eyes, the creator hates him. I just want to point that out, right? Good. And can't wait Good. to get away from him, right? And it becomes yeah. the it becomes the nemesis of his the rest of his life. So it's not really you better be careful what you wish for there. But but there's some kids who just they can't see it as the process that that Vicky laid out. They can't see that picking off the leaf or starting just here. They have to have the whole thing. And of course they don't have the whole thing on Tuesday of week one, and they don't have the whole thing on Thursday of week four either. And the next thing you know, it's week seven, and they're they're still groping for 
something. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a problem. I didn't have complete success with all of them because I couldn't get them to trust the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing that did happen, and I personally let let this ride because of my background and, and biases, there were a number of students who handed in what I would call the first third of an excellent story, but it was way over five pages already. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And they had, to me, sketched out the rest. They had shown me the checklist and the other items that, that are in the lesson plans. They knew where it was going, but they just couldn't draft mm. it in the time they had with the other classes they were taking. And I was perfectly fine with that. They sort of signaled it to me ahead of time. They all were quite responsible about it. And I've left the door open. I, I would be happy to read you know, stories like this anytime if they want to get it done. It's, it's way past the end of the class, but... I don't care. You know, I'd be happy to read <laughs> and give feedback on that. A good story is a good story. Yeah, I'd be happy to read it anytime. So that's another aspect of the class that if you're just teaching your children at home, I don't know if you'd want to leave that door open or not, but I wasn't personally married to the idea that it needs to be five to eight pages because I personally have, you know, written these <laughs> Methuselah tomes. So, you know, sometimes it takes a while. Yeah, and I think I, I've noticed as I taught the class a number of times, is that there are some kids that just love, once they get into it, mm. and there's no way five pages is going to contain what's in their soul once they right. get started. Right. Right. Um, and so those kids will take a little bit longer and turn out a tome. Yeah. And But for the kids who weren't confident, yeah. that, that had never really written a short story or definitely never <clears throat> written something as wild as a myth fantasy Mm -hmm. knowing they only had to crank out five pages Mm. and that there was a format for them to do that they felt so good on the outside of it no i think that's so rewarding for them that's absolutely you know most kids are probably not going to be writers but they have a they do have a story to tell in in some way maybe they'll Mm. carve wood maybe they'll just be a good office worker whatever it is and this is an experience for them uh and and getting a little more confident about it can't be bad but uh having that checklist having Mm. those steps Mm. is a is very important and you you, I, i would think you'd always want to to give a lot of credit to a student who does manage to meet the checklist or or most of it. Mm-hmm. The one thing I dropped in the first year, I I, I soft pedaled the idea of drawing a map, which you recommended <laughs> in the first week, and I thought, you know, geez, do I want to bring you know their nervousness about their artistic abilities uh. as well as their writing at the same time? Plus, I can't draw to save my life, so so I I I sort of said it was optional the first year, but the second year I really encouraged it, got some great results, and it wasn't always because it was a map. It's certainly not a scale map. Uh, sometimes they were more like like you'd see in some allegorical tales. They're, mm-hmm. they're, the distance doesn't really matter, but the mm-hmm. placement is kind of you know just it means something. It's kind and the of a way, blob with little pictures on it. Yeah, <laughs> and, and what they drew was obviously meaningful to them. You could see the flames of Goblin Land or the, you know, <laughs> the dark swamp, you know. And so the okay, so then there's that helps them. They're thinking about it. Even a sketch of. Um, uh, of how the, the the beings look if they're not human if they have wings or whatever you're just sort of a drawing of how the a being looks that's a kind of map mm-hmm. in a way and so I I just said it can be stuff like that but I really encourage you and most of the students responded um, one student um, very uh, down to earth and really not sure about this whole fantasy thing uh, she decided all right I'm going to do this and the idea that came to her was let's have a place that's very far north, just very far north. And so to base her fantasy story, she looked at, I think it was Google Earth, 
and found the, the village that is furthest north in the continental U.S. It's way up in Alaska. And so she looked at the map of that, and that gave her the inspiration to draw the map and, and generated so characters and so cool. forth. And just having that, it's like a high concept in a movie screenplay. Furthest north, you know, in, in North America, you know, and that, that conjures such an image, right? Yeah. And so a lot of her story was rolling just out of that. And Google Maps, of course, gives you this gorgeous map which sure. she then was able to work from yes and that's perfectly successful I, w- I would say that's that's brilliant that's wonderful so as you were working with the kids did you read the story that you were creating as as you were going through the process well what I did f- for the most part was was boast uh, to them that I was doing so well and the teacher was really pleased with my progress um, <laughs> I kind of, because I was a week ahead, and I kind of taunted them. By the way, you know, I've handed in this assignment, and the teacher just thinks it's fantastic. So, you know, good luck to all of you, but I really don't think you're going to do as well as I did. But a lot of them did do, you know, brilliantly. and That was really just for, for comic relief uh, uh, for the most part. But I, uh, I did have a week where I asked them to please read their first sentence, their first paragraph, you know, and then we discuss uh, the, whether that's a hook, whether that gets you into the idyllic opening or so mm-hmm. forth, and as you know, as as part of the plan, I read mine as well, and uh, that became part of the discussion. And you know, I I think it's uh, really good to to show them that you're down in the trenches uh, mm-hmm. with them on something like this. Not a lot of people ha- would even have as much experience as I have uh, at writing fantasy stories, but I I, I feel. I really want to say that my experience wasn't very helpful because it, it's I, I just go and go and go and you know between just the two of us I I, I I will tell you that my stories did run over a little bit you know on that five page and I, I did go over a little bit but my but the teacher loved them so I still got a really good that's, grade that's so you what matters you're yeah. getting honors credit okay that. that's yeah. good level up. So one thing that you're that if you're listening in Seventh Sisters that you're hearing is that uh, this piece of curriculum is adaptable. Yes, it mm. can be used a number of different ways. It mm-hmm. can be a, something that results in the first third of a really excellent story being turned in within the five weeks or the seven weeks, or it could be a just barely five pages, but everything was met on the checklist. Or so many different ways to apply it. Obviously, it could be a lot of fun to do in a group class co-op setting, but also a uh, perfectly wonderful individual pursuit. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's that's on purpose because mm-hmm. at Seven Sisters, we're quite convinced that there's not one, one right, right way to homeschool high school. And um, sometimes that in and of itself can be intimidating to people. We sometimes <laughs> hear from some of you in the inbox at... Uh, at info at sevensistershomeschool.com and you say, I just want you to tell me how to do it. I just want to see a schedule. Give me a syllabus. Tell, tell me what order to do things in. And sometimes we, we try to help with that. And there are a yeah. number of um, blog posts on sevensistershomeschool.com that offer suggested, suggested syllabi. <laughs> yes. But it's always going to be suggested when mm-hmm. you're dealing with your homeschool big sisters because we really want you, just like Mr. Han really wanted his students in his myth fantasy class to find out what they had inside them, to find their story to tell and to mm-hmm. tell it. Um, we want to encourage the same thing in mm-hmm. our homeschooling sisters. Mm-hmm. And we want to encourage you to, to adapt things, to fit your homeschool, to fit your student, and to fit you as the homeschooling parent. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So yeah, intentionally adaptable, and we'll suggest things, but we're <laughs> rarely going to sit you down and say, "Now this is how it's going to be." <laughs> so um, with our myth fantasy curriculum with the other short story guides that we have. We have a fairy tale guide aimed at middle schoolers. We have um, a tall tales mm-hmm. writing yep. guide. We have a family narrative. We have a holiday application of the family narrative idea. And I'm sure there will be more short story guides coming at some point down the pike. But with all of them, they don't have to fit in a particular year mm-hmm. in your homeschooling adventures. They don't have to be used individually or in a co-op. You can find a place where they fit well for you, and I think you can have a lot of fun with them. Yeah, and and for parents who'd like to take a look at Will's fantasies that mm-hmm. he's written um, at his website, yep. willhan.com. Williamlhan.com. William That's H-A-H-N, yeah. the Han part, williamlhan.com. If you want to see something really artistic, there's a two-and-a-half-minute video at the top of the page on my website made by a brilliant young artist and it tells the story of my chronicling adventure and it's it's genius I, I am talking to him and he is sort of illustrating the story as i talk and it's it's really good i have to say oh, how did you do Check that? that out he was doing it for a senior project at his art school where he was in his senior year and uh-huh. uh so he took a, i probably blathered for about 25 30 minutes he cut it down to two two and a half minutes and then he illustrated uh it goes through my childhood formation and like it's everything, man. It's the whole epic tale right there. And it's really, it's just really, really well done. I, I recommend it. So cool. We will put links in the show Absolutely. notes. Absolutely. Sure. And then Absolutely. if you sign up for your newsletter. Right. There's a page like on a lot of author sites. It's called Gentle Reminders on my site. And if you sign up and give your email, um, you'll hear whenever I have an announcement to make, which is probably about once every two weeks or so on the, on the blog. Not too bad. And also, you'll get access to a couple of shorter tales that I've written. Not the two that I wrote for the class, but two that I managed to struggle through earlier. Uh, It's not my forte, but it gives you a little taste of the Lands of Hope, and you can have those for free. Fantastic. Well, Will, thank you so much for carving out time to talk to Seventh Sisters everywhere and um, to also remind people that Seventh Brothers are like pretty awesome in the homeschool world, too. You know, there are homeschool dads out there who maybe don't get mentioned often enough on the Mm -hmm. Homeschool High School podcast, but we so respect what dads bring to the whole mix. Um, So, yeah. So with that, we're going to wrap up today's episode of the Homeschool High School podcast. From 7SistersHomeschool.com, brought to you by the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.